Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everybody. I hope this finds each of you so very well. I'm speaking to you today from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey. Absolutely delighted to have this opportunity to interview highly regarded social worker, grief and trauma educator, and author Susan Hannafin McNabb, who holds a master's in social work, a bachelor's in education, and credentials as a teacher and a school social worker. Susan will be speaking to us from San Diego, California. Susan's entire world flipped upside down when her husband was killed in a tragic car accident, leaving her to pick up the shattered pieces of her young family's life. She eventually came to the realization that healing grief and trauma does not happen by waiting for time to pass, that action and intention are the two pillars needed to build a powerful roadmap for healing mind, body, and spirit which is the foundation for rebirth. To say the least, this exemplifies the mission of Grief and Rebirth podcast and the Grief and Rebirth healing community. Susan combined her extensive professional knowledge and deeply moving personal experiences in her five-time award-winning book, which is used by mental health practitioners and bereaved communities worldwide. Titled A to Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. The book illumines an entire alphabet's worth of proven practical techniques to accompany a person along his or her healing journey, guiding those who have experienced grief or trauma with an abundance of life-changing suggestions, powerful daily action steps, independent writing prompts, and inspirational stories from others who have also experienced grief or trauma through personal crisis, illness, or death. I'll soon be asking Susan questions about her own grief journey, her healing book, and so much more. But first, we need to take a quick minute to show some love to our sponsors. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, Susan. A warm welcome to Grief and Rebirth podcast. Hi, Irene. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here with you. Oh, I love it. We're going to have a great time. This is going to be a We are. Time. I feel it's like I know one. you so well already. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I, I would like to jump through the screen and like give I you know. a hug. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Maybe one day. But it won't be through a screen. <laughs> one day for sure. For Definitely. sure, right? Okay, so let's begin our interview with this question. Please tell us about your life both before your husband's accident and after the accident when you became a young widow and solo parent to your then five-year-old son, Jacob. Okay, well, before 
I was raised here in San Diego, where it's a beautiful 70 something out here in the middle of winter. And um, I studied education in college. I went to school in Boston. And then I went back for a master's in social work, married an amazing guy who was an international business professor. His career took us to Hawaii, Canada, Australia, great travels, great oh, adventures. <laughs> I know, great experiences. Um, our son, Jacob, was born in Australia. And when our son was five, we were coming back to the US uh, mainland to kind of get resettled here. So for 25 years before Brent died, I was an educator and a social worker and traveling and getting into the world of academia with my husband and then learning how to be a parent overseas. So those were, those were fun, but also challenging times. Um, we came back to San Diego and we were here for a month when my husband went out for a drive and never returned. So he was out for a drive in the local mountains and just never showed up for dinner, never showed up for breakfast. So we had, well, I had two weeks of missing in person. What do you do with that? So that's where. Right. That's where a lot of the trauma comes in, you know, running and chasing and hiring private detectives oh and gosh. firing a missing, per filing a missing person's report. And just, you know, I hadn't, I'd always heard the stories of missing persons and I could not understand the complexity and the trauma surrounding that until I was in that situation myself. So two weeks later, a knock came to the door, uh, the medical examiner came and the California Highway Patrol was called by a nature photographer who was down in this area of the mountains and saw a vehicle in the ravine. So somehow the vehicle had gone off the side. It was a very twisty, turny road area and accidents have happened there often. So now that was my story. There was an accident we found out what had happened and that began, began, excuse me, you know, there's a chasm right down the middle of the before the death and after the death. So that was a two week chasm of what is happening here. And then a huge crevice. And I just was sucked down into the black hole of what is this? What is this? And where do you begin at all to crawl out of this darkness? Wow, wow, wow. So that was the before. That was the before. Um, and and after the that. accident, you were in the darkness. I was in the darkness for what seemed like an eternity until, and I described this in the book, I realized, oh my gosh, I have a five-year-old. Um, I've got to give him a childhood. And because I was so focused on children as an educator, I had such love for all kids in general, but I knew this child needed a parent and I was the one and he needed a childhood and I was the one who was gonna give him that. So that nudged me into, okay, well, I don't care about myself anymore. I don't even know how to- You don't know who my... you are anymore. <laughs> exactly, but I do care about this child. So he's the reason I got up. And he's the reason I started social working our lives, which was, okay, 
I've been helping other people for 20, 25 years collect resources and help their lives get better or stronger in some way. And now I've got to do that for us and for him. So that's when I started crawling out tiny, tiny step at a time and looking for resources in the community to help us heal. And that's what I've been doing for the last eight years, helping my son heal, helping myself heal, and now turning around and reaching a hand back and helping others who are in profound loss situations. Wow, that, and I can so, so relate. Let me ask you, Susan, what is post-traumatic growth? Because you talk about that a lot in your book. And how is that different from PTSD? I love that question. So I had always heard about PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, or post-traumatic stress, PTS. And um, we hear about that a lot because it's related to the military. And when veterans come back, a lot of them have severe post-traumatic um, stress from war. Well, I didn't realize that that could also apply to civilians who have been in traumatic loss or traumatic situations in general. So I started reading because I was grabbing any resource I could, and I came across the theory of post-traumatic growth, which is the flip side of PTSD or PTS. So PTG is post-traumatic growth. And these are the growth areas that can come out of a traumatic experience. The research came out of the University of North Carolina. And when I read it, I started reading about these researchers who were working with groups of bereaved parents for a couple decades. And they were seeing that in this group of parents, there were five markers or five growth areas that were coming around eventually, not, not, you know, immediately, of course, because we're still in the dark trying to figure things out. Um, but eventually, they started seeing five growth areas. And I call these growth areas oasis. So O-A-S-I-S. And do you want me to go into those now? Or do you want me to talk about that later? <laughs> talk about that a little bit later, but that's fascinating. Okay. And that's really cool. So you experienced traumatic grief, and what are the most common traumatic trauma reactions adults experience as opposed to grief reactions? You've got trauma reactions and grief reactions. Right. So I like to think of grief and trauma in a Venn diagram. So if we have a circle here and a circle here and we intersect them, there are reactions that are have similarities, right? There's some overlapping reactions, and then there's some different ones as well. I mean, what's so, thinking about that there may be members of our audience who are going to relate to what you're saying, that they're experiencing these things also. Yes. So for so some common trauma reactions, and I have them specified in the book because I didn't realize I was traumatized. Nobody said to me. You're this is trauma. Yes, Brent died, and you're going to grieve his loss in his physical self. But I also, I was having flashbacks, nightmares, night sweats. Oh. My, um, my nervous system had been completely derailed. So in trauma, um, we can experience behavioral changes, 
social changes, physical changes, and mental or emotional changes. And there's a whole plethora of these that I list in the book and on the website as well. So people can look at that and say, okay, I'm normal. These reactions don't feel good, but it's normal. And uh, the trauma reactions, you just said they're also common grief reactions too. They're the ones exactly. that overlap with each other. Yes, exactly. Right? So they're in grief as well. There are, you know, grief affects us completely. There's not one ounce of me that remained the same. Well, maybe things like what I like to do, you know, I still like to exercise, but mentally, emotionally, behaviorally, socially, spiritually, people don't even think about the spiritual side of things. You may start to question, what, where is my person? What do I really believe about God or the universe or where we go when we die? There are a lot of changes that can happen. Um, and there's so many common grief reactions that may be different. So between you and I, maybe there are 55 common grief reactions, but maybe I have these 30 and you're over here with these 22. You know, yeah. so if I've learned anything about grief and trauma, it's that yes, there are common reactions, but we all behave differently within that sphere. Within that sphere. Well, I love what you had to say about grief brain, and I can kind of relate to that because I had a little bit of that too. You want to tell people about grief brain because that I think that's pretty common. Yes, it's very common. So, grief is stress right? Grief is in relation to how much we love our person. We love our person. They're not here physically anymore. That is stress. So the hormone cortisol, that level rises and that affects us physiologically. So we may feel fuzzy. We may not be able to concentrate. We may forget things. That is what I call grief brain. And, um, so another reason why the experts say, okay, after a profound loss, don't make any severe changes or major changes in the first year, because our brain has been literally changed. And it takes a while for that to, you know, the hormone levels to uh, regulate once again. I remember after I lost my husband, uh, after the car accident, a lot of people said to me, don't make a decision this year. And I, I mean, and I, but the, it would have been helpful for them to say, you're going to have grief brain. I didn't quite understand why they were telling me yes. that, but that was, that was yes. the concept. And I do, I do want to say quickly too, that sometimes we need to make decisions in that first year. We may need to move. Um, we may, may need to get help. We may need to shift our life even more, but I think, um, you know, in a, in a perfect world, right, which we know we're not in, if we could all recognize, okay, our brain functioning is not as high as it was. It, it's, we're a little bit loopy and it's normal. It doesn't feel great, but um, we, if we can, if we could just mellow out with everything else, <laughs> that would probably help. Well, it also points to my next question because this is what happened for me. You call it a posse. I call it a wagon train. I, when I lost my husband, I gathered a wagon train around me of certain people and they performed different functions for me. And they kind of helped me with the, get me past the grief brain because if I couldn't process something, I had someone I really trusted 
who could help me with that. So, but, and you wisely gathered this posse of people to help you, which integrated the notion of interdependence into your life. I had to learn that too. And it was a decision that dramatically helped you and your son. I love how you talk about the difference between the doers and the beers uh, in your posse. You want to share that with us? Sure. So I'll, I'll start by saying I didn't have an enormous posse of people here. We had just moved back here. And although I grew up here, I was away for 15 years. So when I came back, I had my parents, thankfully, who were here. And I had a few girlfriends. They couldn't manage all of the things we needed. We needed therapy. We needed, we needed healing in a million different ways and they could not manage all those things. So I had to go out and gather the posse of healers, right? The therapists, the, the Santre therapy group, the, all the different people, you know, the people, the acupuncturists, the meditation specialists, the, the exercise folks at the gym who were helping me, the nutritionists. I mean, all of those people had to be gathered, <clears throat> but my inner circle of girlfriends and parents, um, I started realizing that, you know, not everybody could be just sit in the pile, sit in the dark with me, sit in the tough times with me. They were better at doing things, making a meal, shuffling my son where he needed to be. And so in my head, and I describe this in the book, I, I'm very um, sequential and linear thought. My thought process is very sequential and linear. So I pictured a piece of paper in my head with three columns. One said B, one said do, and one said shelf. And I started filing people into these columns, like the people who could just be in the sadness with me and just give me a hug and give me support without doing anything. And then the people that had to do, like my mother's a perfect example of somebody who likes to do things to fix things, right? So she was making us meals. She was taking my son to get a haircut. She was doing all the things. And then there was a group of people that um, I just couldn't manage at all. And I think we all have a lot of wonderful folks in our lives who just give us more anxiety. They don't mean to, but they do. And so I had a column for people I needed to put on the shelf. And I, I picture a shelf. You know, I just had to set them on a shelf for now. I couldn't do them. I couldn't manage them. But the shelf analogy is one that a lot of folks I work with love because we can take people off and on the shelf but sometimes they need to rest there so that we can rest you know i love that and i found the same thing the way i term it is i call it detaching with love there oh i love that i just detach from with love and maybe they come back into my life at another time but i i don't have any uh angst with them nothing but it's not working we're not in sync with mm. each other right now so yes. we'll just detach with love. I respect where I love you're that. at. And please, vice versa, do that for me, you know? Yeah. Yes. So yes. Um, you had a peer mentor who was crucial to inviting you back into your life, which was a win-win for both. And she got a lot out of it also. So would you like to share her with us and tell us about I, that? I always love talking about Robin. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, you know, some people say things happen 
accidentally. And I do not believe that anymore. I was at the gym and exercise is always something I've done to feel better. And it's been a second home for me, the gym. I met my husband at the gym. It just felt normal. So when everything was not normal and Brent was missing, I was at the gym because what do you do when your life is in purgatory, you just do the next thing. And the next thing for me was just go work out because that's normal. So I happened to meet a woman in this small group training class named Robin. And she just happened to share with me that she was widowed with two young kids at home. I've never met anyone widowed with kids in my life. And my husband's currently missing. And I happened to hear this story from her. Two weeks later, Right? No accident. No I know. I know. So two weeks later, I get this knock on my door. I realize, holy moly, I'm now widowed with a child. Robin, I don't know her last name. I like, but I know there's a woman at the gym I need in my life. So I called the trainer. And I said, this is what just happened. I need Robin's number now. I don't know her last name, but I need her. I need her. Like she's the one I need. 10 minutes later, Robin's on the phone with me telling me that I'm going to survive and that she's going to be there next to me. Oh, A total that. stranger. Chills just to hear that story. Total stranger. Oh. So Robin over the last eight years has dragged me to healing conferences, healing retreats, dragged me out of bed, helped me with my son. And eight years later, we now work out during the pandemic in my garage home gym together. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and it was a win-win for her too, in what way? It was, well, I wish she was here next to me to say, but she's four years ahead of me in this journey. So helping me helped her realize how far she had come what a strong person she was becoming, raising her own kids. Um, it just really helped her get perspective on where she had been and how far she had come and what she had to give back. That's wonderful. What are the ways your heart, now you've got a heart-based business called A to Z Healing Toolbox. How does it assist for those people in our listening audience who are grieving? How does A to Z Toolbox, how's that, how can that help them? As an assist those who are grieving? Good question. So before um, and after and during the pandemic, I have been running workshops and it's all based on, so this is what the book looks like with my sticky tabs here. It's all based on the curriculum in this fat book. And, um, and this fat book has 26 different tools that help people heal grief and trauma in single small steps. So I run workshops virtually and in person. I have been speaking to groups of bereaved parents. I will do uh, retreats for medical practitioners, giving them tools to give their patients. Um, it's really a wide variety of, of things that I offer for people so that they can grab on to some practical tools for healing. And there are 26 tools in the book. So people can start anywhere. I talk about a variety of things that might ring true for anyone at any place in their journey. You want to highlight a few of them for us? I know there are 26, uh -huh. but you want to highlight like two or three or four of them? Sure. 
Well, when actually, I'm so glad you you asked that because right right here I have a straw and I, I talk about letter B breath work a lot, which is not something that I ever considered. But when we are anxious for whatever reason or stressed out, and of course that happens during grief and trauma, but even if you're stressed out because of a pandemic or because of a um, um, you know a job situation, it's really an important thing to do to learn how to regulate our breath. So a straw can help us do that. And I teach something called straw breathing. So if you're watching this and you want to grab a straw, We're I'll show you how to do it. So they can, they can watch I it. I know, right? <laughs> That's right. They can review, 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 watch it over. But um, all you do is you inhale through the nose and you exhale through the straw. Now, when we exhale through this tiny tube, that is gonna force our breath to slow down, right? It, our breath will be constricted when we blow out of this tiny hole. So I'll do it once to show people how it works. But if you do this a few times in a row, you can feel your body automatically relaxing okay. because you're now regulating, yeah, you're regulating your breath, which regulates your heart rate, which regulates your entire nervous system. So you're gonna inhale through the nose, And you'll repeat that a few times. When we are stressed out or anxious, we breathe high and tight, like, yes, <laughs> right? That's how anxiety attacks happen. But with straw breathing, you are forcing yourself to slow down your rate of breath. It slows down your heart rate and your entire nervous system can get under control. And the breath is something we have with us all the time. So whether we're using a straw or we're, you know, in yoga class or we're doing something else to regulate our breath work, um, letter B, I love because it's breath work, which we have all the time. I think letter B would also work for a toddler having a tantrum, don't you think? I think so. <laughs> you know, this is a great tool for kids. Um, you, you know, I buy colorful straws and they're recyclable. But um, teenagers, I've done this with uh, adolescents who are having anxiety or stress about whatever's happening in their life. And nobody needs to know. I mean, you put this in your purse or your backpack or behind your ear. I mean, nobody needs to know. They could think you just got a drink, you know, at a store. Um, but I would do this in the car, driving down the road. I had these all over the place. Straws. Wow. Wow. You want to tell us about one or two others? And then I have another cool question for you. Are there any okay, other great. you want to feature? Yeah. Um, something I talk about a lot is imagery, which is letter I. And imagery is harnessing the power of the mind for us to heal. And I want to share um, a website and a book that really helped change my life. And a woman, actually. Her name is Bella Ruth Knapperstack. I love her name. And I love her. She's been a social worker and therapist forever, and she's the queen of guided imagery. So I came across this book called Invisible Heroes, Survivors of Trauma and How They oh, Heal. Wow. And if you don't want to dive into the whole book, you can visit her website, which is called Health Journeys, healthjourneys.com. And she puts out guided imagery 
So for instance, um, guided imagery to ease grief. Here's one on healing trauma. Here's an imagery on a, um, helping with anxiety and panic. And all you do with these is you listen. That's all you have to do. There's, you don't have to go out of your house. You just listen and guided imagery helps. This is one I used over and over again. It's the three stages of healing trauma. And there are three CDs in here. Um, this is the lovely Bella Ruth. <laughs> I don't know if you can see that, <laughs> but she's amazing. And um, her voice is very soothing and imagery really helps a lot. And that's not something I knew before this happened. And these two wonderful illustrations are just two of 26 that you offer. So everyone should really want to read the book that talks about each one of them. And you also talk about in your book, a healing with intention, educating through action and envisioning post-traumatic growth. Please define that for us. <laughs> okay, so let's start with the first one, intention. I was under the impression that grief would get better with time, time heals. Well, I'm sorry, but I sat around and that did not help me. I knew I needed to put action and intention into my healing world, which is intentionally finding experiences and opportunities and individuals who might be able to help you on your journey. Um, taking action, right? Not being passive, but being assertive and being proactive. Like, I don't wanna be reactive. I wanna be proactive in my own healing. So this entire library of books, I, people said to me, what can I do? I said, send me some books, send me books on grief, healing, trauma, healing, send me books for children. Um, people want to help and they don't know what to do. So that's one thing people can do is send you information. Um, so that's the healing with intention and action, putting movement behind your own healing because we can stay stuck in the trauma loop, the grief loop forever and ever and ever. But what I work with people on is imagine my son loves cars. We in our car, we have a rear view mirror. It's about this big. Our windshield is huge. This windshield is where we're going. 80% of the time, that's where we're headed. 20% is this rear view mirror. So that's how I try to live. You know, 20% is what happened. 20% of this interview is what, what was, like, what was that? What was your other life? And now the 80 is, I've got a huge windshield here and I'm looking forward to see who's up there and what's out there and how we can all heal together. That's fabulous. And also envisioning, and that's envisioning the post-traumatic growth because that's where really where you're going. That's where you're headed. You know, that's, that's the growth. And yes, and there are these five pillars of growth that at some point I will talk about because please, I think that's please important. Do. That's your oasis. Go for it. Let's. That it. is the oasis. Yeah. So the growth period can come from, uh, can come out of a traumatic experience and the oasis. So O stands for opportunity. 
And when I say these, Irene, you're going to be thinking in your mind, oh, yeah, that's true for me. That's true for me. Right. So O is opportunity. New opportunities may arise. Look at this podcast you're doing. Look at the book you wrote. I mean, this was not our life before our husbands died. So new opportunities can arise. That's the O. A stands for appreciation. Often people that have experienced a profound loss or trauma eventually have new appreciation for the flowers, the butterfly, the friendships, the, the community, the people that come into their lives. Just it's a deeper appreciation for things. Now we're on letter S, which is strength. And that's inner strength. That is, I have lived and survived this hell. I can do anything. I can do a podcast. I can write a book. I can connect with all these people. I can be on radio shows. I can do the hard stuff, whatever that is. So S is inner strength. Then letter I is interpersonal relationships. We just met recently. I already feel like I, I know you. I know part of you. And that is a strong strength area and growth area that can come out of um, a traumatic situation that we develop interpersonal relationships that are strong with sometimes total strangers sure. because we connect in another way. Yes, in a very profound way. In a yes. very profound way. And then and the claim is spirituality. <laughs> That's right. The last letter S stands for spirituality. And that growth can come in a number of ways. It can come as a brand new spirituality, a brand new way to look at life. It can come in going deeper into one's own original spirituality, or it, it can change altogether. But there's a spiritual awakening that happens most of the time. And that's something else that we can grab onto when we feel like, how are we, how are we ever going to survive, much less thrive? We can look to those five pillars and start looking for areas of growth. Um, and there's one of my, the books I love here. I've got my sticky tabs with O-A-S-O-S, -S, but this is called the Post-Traumatic Growth Workbook. And these are the research that researchers that came out of um, UNC at University of North Carolina. So this is a workbook. You know, there are pages in here wow. so that you can start identifying your growth areas. And if you are still in the dark, which we all are for much time, um, it's okay because they give you in this book some prompts just to start thinking about ways of being. It's called, it's got the seeds of growth and rebirth. It really does because we yes. tend to rebirth ourselves and recreate ourselves in a, in a different frame than what worked for us before, right? Exactly, so, exactly. Tell me about your workshops. You want to tell us a little more about your workshops because some of our listeners might want to partake in them. Sure. And are they all online? Well, right now I'm doing workshops in conjunction with a virtual mental health platform, which is a new thing during 2020 and 2021. There's an organization called Circles, circlesup.com, and they have small group workshops run by therapists. 
it's a wonderful way for anyone to access psychoeducational healing or being in a small group with other people who are moving through the same experience. So it's circlesup.com and I run workshops there for bereaved parents and for the widowed community. And I will open others up soon for, um, for other folks who are moving through other different healing journeys. So that's on the circles platform. And then I do the occasional retreat. Um, back in October, I did a retreat with Tom Zuba. I don't know if you know Tom Zuba. I, I read um, an introduction in your book. And, I, and actually, I just read another book where he was, um, he also provided an introduction. And he's, I haven't met him personally yet, maybe one day for Grief and Rebirth. Maybe, podcast. maybe we'll have to get him on the podcast. Yeah. But- Yeah, but we did a joint retreat, um, an online virtual retreat in um, October of 2020. So there's the occasional retreat workshop. And then I do tons of work with Camp Widow and Soaring Spirits International. Um, I've presented at uh, Bereaved Parents of the USA. So some of the workshops are more informational like this online and others are in retreat format and others are with a virtual mental health um, collaboration. Look what we went through and what a blessing you are to so many people now. I know you're the oh, programs. You. You're welcome. I know you're the programs and education manager for Starring Parents International. And I know it's a nonprofit that helps the global widowed community. Hi, everyone. It helps the global widowed community. So tell Say us that more fast, about that. Right. <laughs> I always love Is that widowed about... both men and women or is just mostly yes, women? It is. The whole gap. every age, every age, every sexual orientation, every religion or non-religion. I mean, if you are living with the death of you, the person you thought you were going to spend your life with, then we see you as a widowed person. It could be your boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, spouse, life partner, doesn't matter. And we have programs that are there for everyone. We run, as I mentioned, Camp Widow three times a year, Tampa, San Diego, and Toronto. These are three-day conferences at a Marriott hotel where 300 widowed people come together. You choose your workshops. We have a banquet dinner. I mean, it is like a professional conference for widowed people. That is wonderful. It is. It's amazing. Uh, We also have regional peer support groups all over North America, so U.S., Canada, and Ireland. And these are widowed volunteers who run groups for peer support in their local community. For instance, here in San Diego, we have a group that has over 300 members. Um, We meet twice a month for peer support. Maybe we're at a coffee shop, maybe we're taking a walk, maybe we are virtually meeting during a pandemic. Um, But these are virtual groups that people can join right now. And then when we get back to in-person, they can join a group in their city. And all of this information about our programs is on soaringspirits.org. Okay, I'm going to say it again for everyone, soaringspirits.org. Okay, and Susan, you of all people in the universe, what is your crucial message about the importance of healing to share with this audience? You know, I believe we heal in community and we are all interconnected. So my message would be to find your people, 
if someone is listening to this and they don't know where to begin, begin with someone, begin with some organization. We're all interconnected. So I would say find a community. Maybe that's it starts with one person like Robin taking me to Camp Widow and now I'm around a bunch of widowed people. Maybe it's some of my friends who had a child die and they knew someone else who had a child die. And then that person introduces them to helping parents heal or bereaved parents of the USA or compassionate friends. There are nonprofits and all sorts of organizations that can help us with our healing. So my message would be find your community, find your people. And I'm going to give a plug for Grief and Rebirth because you can find some of those people in your community through Grief and Rebirth podcast and come listen to We have many interviews with people from that Helping Parents Heal and from many other organizations. And you could really start to listen and contact these people. They're all very happy. They're part of this healing community. They're all very happy to participate and help. And with that in mind, are there any other um, contact uh, connection messages you have for people? Um, what's your overall website? What types of resources do you offer? Well, we're talking about the resources you offer to the bereaved community, but how do people in general, I wanna get a hold of Susan. I wanna find out about her workshops. I wanna learn more about her A to Z healing toolbox. How do they, how do they find you girl? Good question. <laughs> well, if they're in San Diego, no. Um, so my website is a2zhealingtoolbox.com. There's information there for everyone. Um, the book can be found on my website or Amazon or Barnes and Noble, anywhere you can buy the book. Um, I'm on, there's an A to Z Healing Toolbox Facebook page. They can find me there um or circlesup.com they can find my workshop there as well but i'd say the best bet would be to contact me through the website and then i can guide them to direction or resources or or practical tools that may help them right and for those of you who aren't watching this on youtube it's a the number two not the not the roman numeral the number two yes a two z number two okay and susan what is your tip for finding joy in life well, for me, it is surrounding myself with people who are resilient, including people like you, Irene. It's, it's finding people that look how you want to be. <laughs> so if you see joy in them, go spend more time with them. If someone else is over here bringing you down, spend less time with them. Go toward the joy makers and the joy creators. I totally agree with that. Uh, Susan, my heart felt, felt thanks to you. I mean it really from my heart for this really healing and insights filled interview that is going to be so helpful to many in our Grief and Rebirth podcast audience. And thank you also for lighting the way for those who are journeying through their tremendously painful grief and trauma with both your A to Z healing toolbox and your powerful transformational guide to healing titled a to Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. And everybody, it truly is. Many in our audience now surely want to get your book and personally connect with you. And I'm so glad to bring you out to all these people. Thank you so much again. 
And here's a thank lovely you. thank you, my pleasure. And here's and, and more to come. And here's a loving <laughs> reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all grief and rebirth podcast episodes on ireneweinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. As I like to say, to be continued, many blessings and bye for now. Mm-hmm.